Martial Law and the Crimes of the Marcos Family. A short special segment of the Hainai Podcast. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, Ferdinand Marcos was a Philippine lawyer and politician who established an authoritarian regime in the Philippines that came under criticism for corruption and its suppression of democratic processes. Marcos's later years in power were marred by rampant government corruption, economic stagnation, the steady widening of economic inequalities between the rich and the poor, and the steady growth of a communist guerrilla insurgency active in the rural areas of the Philippines' innumerable islands. As previously mentioned, Marcos established an authoritarian regime, and according to Britannica, authoritarianism is the principle of blind submission to authority, as opposed to individual freedom of thought and action. In government, authoritarianism denotes any political system that concentrates power in the hands of a leader or small elite that is not constitutionally responsible to the body of the people. Authoritarian leaders often exercise power arbitrarily and without regard to existing bodies of law, and they usually cannot be replaced by citizens choosing freely among various competitors in elections. Remember, Marcos was an authoritarian leader, otherwise known as a dictator. And that was martial law and the crimes of the Marcos family. Now on to the podcast. You're listening to Hainai by Motsi Dabul. Episode 22 Digmaan Part 1 Hello? CJ, hey, this is Laura. I don't know if you remember me, but... Uh. Nice. Oh no, Cher. It isn't you. It's just so sad that the only phone calls I get that aren't scam calls are professional correspondences. Worried that this was a social call? Oh, well, fair. I mean, I wanted to ask you about some stuff, but why not make it a social call? Lunch or something? If you're okay with that, I mean. Don't worry about it, my dear. I'm just being dramatic. Come see me at the museum. I can see you during my break. Really? Thank you. But hey, I wasn't joking about the lunch. At least that way your social life isn't all horrible, life-threatening magic cleanup. Aren't you sweet? Perhaps. Let's see what you have to ask me before I say yes. Also fair. See you soon, CJ.
What a surprise! I didn't think I'd see you back here so soon. I assume the world's ending. Funny. I need information about the benefactor. And with all the trouble your little agreement has caused us so far, you owe us at least that much. Trouble? I can't imagine why. But no need to get dramatic. I'm on your side, remember? I'll tell you anything you need to know. Good. Because we have absolutely nothing to go on about an elder who was some sort of puppet master. And we need to know what that has to do with the benefactor now. Puppet master, you said? Where did you hear about that? I have my sources. Now talk. <sighs> Is your source another elder? No. Good. Come sit. Drink? I had to ask. The puppet master you're talking about, well... I can only tell you so much. I don't know all the details, and what I do know is what the benefactor has told me, as an ally. I believe my loving husband knew a little bit more, however... Let me... <laughs> Christ, what happened to him? That's not the story I'm telling today, but... He's still a loving husband. <laughs> I love you too, dear. Now, what do you remember about Drosselmeyer? <laughs> oh, yes, Petter. Gruesome thing what happened to him. Care to share with the class? Patience, let him finish. Oh, yes, we should let him see. You want all the answers, Detective? Whatever you can give me. Well, then. Where to begin? I suppose it'll be with Petr. Petr Ilyich. One of the elders from the Ordo who... I hesitate to say survived when the Ordo fractured. Among us, there were those who didn't flourish or stand out when we were all attending Savard's meetings but found power later after everyone began forming factions of their own. For a time, we thought Petr was one of these. But we later realized there was more to it than we first imagined. Petr was sweet, but not altogether ambitious enough to find his place. He was pale, blonde, tall, and awkward, like a child on the cusp of adulthood. He was liked, but not looked upon with much more than a little pity. I wasn't much of a figure myself in those days, so I noticed him more than most. Eager to please. Helpful. But never particularly driven. Though from what I remember of him near the end, he was visibly troubled. Rings began to form under his eyes, and he seemed more... on edge than before. Nobody in the Ordo had seen Savard's abdication coming, so the source of Petr's terror was a mystery to us near the end. He looked like he'd been run ragged, something eating away at him that he could not speak of. When the Ordo fell apart, I had no more reason to think of Petr for a while after that. 
Back then, as I said, I wasn't particularly powerful or notable, but I was... opportunistic. When Savar disappeared, I took the opportunity to look through his notes, find his magic, and offer it up to Giuliano Bartolotti, the most powerful player I knew at the time who I thought I had a shot at allying with. He married me to secure our shared... assets. Our power and leverage as it became clear how much of our magic had become an excuse to prey on each other. Giuliano and I came out on top, though it was soon made clear to us that our abilities were trifling in comparison to the greatest and most savage of us. One of them was the benefactor. Not only did he get Richard Henry's loyalty, which was a feat for anyone other than our leader Sovard, but he also seemed to know magic the rest of us had no access to. At the time, I thought perhaps he'd done the same as me, stolen Savard's notes, used them for his own gain. Now, I'm sure it was simply Savard's return, using magic he'd had all along, only some of which I'd been able to study myself. The other thing that had set us apart from the ones greater than us was... let's call it ambition. Giuliano and I agreed that magic should be used to benefit us, preserve us, keep us comfortable, and give me the means to do more research as the years went on. But not so with a benefactor. Or the puppet master. Drosselmeyer was not their real name, of course. Anonymity seemed the height of fashion, the way they flaunted their false names as their new identities. Both they and the benefactor seemed to be of the same mind. They wanted more power, wanted to gather it faster. All our foci ran on Fear Death, one of the greatest and most immediate magic energy sources. And so Fear Deaths began to rise, just as the world began to tumble into its second war. You know that we are allies with the Benefactor. Not necessarily because we believed in his cause, which spoke of the greater good and all that nonsense. But because Drosselmeyer was mad. Yes, love, I'm getting to that. As we began to hear rumors of these factions coming into power, we were visited by a familiar face, Petr Ilyich. He came to us surprisingly well, looking healthy, smiling brightly at our door. Giuliano didn't trust it for a moment, so we set a trap in case Petr tried anything. He was gleeful when he told us he could sense our rabbit's snare. He offered us a deal. Wanted us to ally with him against the benefactor. We wanted nothing to do with the squabbles of other elders until we knew who would come out on top. So Juliana refused him. It's rather funny to think about now, but back then none of us expected an elder to pull out a pistol and try to shoot the other dead. I suppose we were all too comfortable, thinking that we could counter any magic thrown our way. <laughs> a gun, on the other hand. Luckily, Giuliano was a quick one, and was able to wrest the gun out of Petter's hands before he could harm us, though I think our ceiling still has the mark from when he tried to shoot. <sighs> ah, there. When Giuliano wrestled Petter to the ground and I magicked him to stillness, he... well... He started to laugh like a madman. He was still laughing when tears began to stream from his eyes. I remember his words well. I'm sorry, Nessie. My head. 
and when Juliana rolled him over, we found something... odd. Juliano touched the strange bump raising the back of his skull, and he went limp, all the fight gone out of him. I remember my husband telling me he wasn't breathing. When I came over, Juliano had raised a little of his lank blonde hair from the strange bump, and found that place, shaven, a perfect circle devoid of hair hidden underneath. Pushing on it, I heard the unmistakable sound of air being released, and a little door of flesh and wood swung open at the back of Petter's head. <sighs> oh, fine then. I'm in a good mood from all this good food, so you can ask me whatever. Don't worry, it's on me. It's the least I can do, since you mentioned you didn't really want anything to do with all this. But you're still sticking your neck out for us anyway, so... Keep flattering me, please. Not that hard to do, honestly. But I guess I'm on the clock, so I gotta ask if you have any information on the... Uh, puppet master. Who told you about this? Vanessa? I warned your detective friend it was a bad idea to get involved with her kind. No, and uh, we're planning to ask her about it, too. We actually heard about it from a gigantic wolf monster in the mountains. It tried to kill some of us because it thought we were elders, but once it cleared things up, turns out it was actually pretty nice. You encountered the Wahila and survived? Like I said, it seems like it only had beef with elders. It was pretty friendly with Mari once it realized she wasn't one of you. I mean of them. Putain, you're all insane! I'm going to die just by associating with you. <laughs> Sorry, I guess. You're, you're the last person in that group who should be apologizing. Thanks. So, uh, Wahila? A white wolf of the north, unique for its tendency to decapitate hapless travelers. I believe the benefactor went hunting for one some years ago, and one of his companions had their heads eaten off. I don't know which, it's all hearsay. Maybe it never happened at all. No, it, it mentioned that, eating an elder's head. It said something about the benefactor being its enemy, so that tracks. It also mentioned that it saw a battle between the benefactor and one that used, um, dead things, disguised as a living. Strings on fingers like puppets. Anything you know about that would be really helpful. As I said before, I wasn't very involved at the time, but I did still hear some things, especially because Vanessa Bartalotti felt entertained by the prospect of keeping me abreast of the situation, little rat. But yes, I knew of the puppet master. They were one of those who tried to approach me for help, or an alliance or something, sent a letter to the place I had been staying at at the time, which I burned before fleeing to Montréal for a few months. From what I understand, they had chosen to challenge the benefactor's rise to power and was one of the few people who might actually have had the chance to stop him. Were you ever tempted to help this person? If it meant stopping the benefactor? Tempted, yes. But I was given a warning that I chose not to ignore. From Vanessa Bartalotti, if you believe it. For all that she allies with the benefactor now, Back then, she and Giuliano, her husband, were rather self-serving. 
She sent me a missive informing me of what happened when they allowed the puppet master to cross the threshold of their estate. Said that if I was truly out of the game, to avoid any contact with this newcomer, the puppet master that called themselves Drosselmayer. She told me of Petir and what Drosselmayer did to him. You see, Drosselmayer was never an elder, but truly. They were not one of us. I had never met them in my time on the Sauvage. Petr was perhaps the kindest, at least, that I knew of. My Marianne was benevolent, and Sauvage was kind to both of us. But Petr was as like as he was pitied for his kindness. And somehow, Drosselmayer, this strange puppet master, took advantage of the poor lad, learned of his power, of the elders, and of the factions who took power after Sauvard's disappearance fractured us. I think perhaps if Drosselmayer had numbered among Sauvard's pawns, they would have been counted among his favorite few, the powerful of us. But, as it was, we knew not of their origins, nor their motives, nor power, which also meant I did not know what would happen if they defeat, defeated the benefactor. Indeed, even when he cheered the swell, I feared Sauvard. Only when we lost him did I realize the power vacuum created something much worse. I feared what would happen if it turned out that my fear of the benefactor would be trifling compared to the puppet master. <sighs> I do think that you'll find more answers with Vanessa than I. All I know is that Drosselmeyer was so feared that the benefactor sought other sources of power to defeat them. Creatures like the Wahila, though you saw how that went. Last I heard, he found something. A secret weapon that helped him win his war against Drosselmeyer. Last I heard, it wasn't something so much as it was someone. I'm sorry for all that. Now you know I'm in an asylum. It's hardly unusual for someone to have such strong emotions. When they've gone through so much. My dad, he had nightmares. Sometimes he would just cry. Apropos of nothing. Then I'm not in terrible company. If you're ready, shall we proceed? Yes. I need to tell you. The rest of it. Some of it might sound familiar near the end. As I said before, we love that sweet doctor. Over the few years we awaited news of our boys in the war. They would come and go. In the week after the doctor's blessed Christmas, Laurie and I frequented their puppet show. Even help them pack the beautiful little figures up at the end of the day. I remember one of them clearly. A priest with dark hair that reminded me of Father Mallory. On the third day, they asked us if they wanted to learn their craft. Laurie was too eager to agree. I wasn't far behind. They spent some days teaching us how to make the little ones dance on delicate strings. Patient and indulgent. Laurie took to it better than I, and I could see the doctor's pride in her clear as day, 
like a parent with their child. I wasn't very good, but the doctor was glad to have me anyway. Between the two of us, the doctor entrusted a little show to our care while they were away in the city. I don't know when I began to notice it. Maybe when I realized Father Mallory was there every day to watch the puppet show, but say nothing in judgment, or say anything at all. Or when I met the doctor's gardener coming home from one of my errands, running late and running into the old man, nearly toppling him over. I apologized over and over, but he seemed unperturbed, simply smiling with eyes crinkled closed, and going on his way, not stopping to pick up the hat that he dropped, even when I called after him. Little things. Not enough to matter until after, when I looked back on it all. The doctor surprised us by returning just as spring melted snowbanks. Sooner than we anticipated. That day, when they surprised us after the show, plodding our attempt at matching their dexterity in a clumsy little dance between a handsome prince and a cobbly milkmaid, they invited us to learn how to create their own dolls at their workshop. I'd have gone if my mother hadn't forbidden me. I came home to a mess of a house that night, neglecting my chores in favour of practising with Laurie for our shows. I argued that whatever the doctor would teach us would be valuable, but my mam would hardly budge. Said I wouldn't achieve anything doing what rich folk did for fun. So learning that bit of craft was left to Laurie, who promised to tell me everything she learned in the doctor's odd little workshop house. Maybe if I was lucky, I thought then, I could come visit see what was in that locked basement. I think... Yes. It was a neighborhood boy. The one who broke Laurie's little Annie. Calling something or other. He was always a terror. Too young to be sent to war, though we wished he'd go just to get him out of our hair. Awful boy. Though I'd not wish war on anyone now. Back then, things were so much simpler and we hated him enough to wish it. Laurie most of all. Oh, how he tormented her. The adults said he wanted her attention, that they'd make quite a pair someday. They didn't seem to understand how direly Laurie hated him. But I remember. One day, he threw stones at her while she walked home, carrying one of the doctor's ballet dancers under her arm. He tried to grab the delicate little woman from Laurie's hands, but I pushed him right off, threatened to tell the doctor he broke one of their prized pieces, make him pay. He cried his own threats to our backs as he walked away. The next day, his parents came looking for him around the crossroads, said he hadn't come home. Laurie wasn't worried, and neither was I. Must have snuck some booze and fallen asleep near the tracks. He'd be home before they knew it, Laurie said. And she was right. He was back a day later, all rueful-like. We passed him on our way home, and I was ready for another confrontation, but... He just waved at us, and kept on doing something in his parents' front garden. Laurie looked pleased. 
even after the doctor departed Hyde. Laurie kept going to their home, claimed she was assigned upkeep while they were away. There were no puppet shows for the time being. I started to see less and less of Laurie, but being that I was the only one in the house apart from my parents, what with my older brother gone away, I was too busy tending to their affairs to really notice. We'd both started to grow up, one way or another. I'd walk home alone from the crossroads most days, arms weighed down by groceries, and past Colin's house, where he'd wave from his garden and never say a word. When I finally found some time away from my responsibilities, I asked Laurie if I could come join her on errands to the doctor's house. I wondered at her parents allowing her such freedoms, and she laughed like it was the funniest thing in the world. We were both growing so quickly that it struck me, that laugh. The look of her. So beautiful. A woman where I was still an awkward child. She spoke like an adult, too. Indulgent, but almost condescending. Said I couldn't come back to the doctor's house, not while they were away. When I tried to argue, she soothed me with gentle fingers along one cheek and promised, in a hush, that I could come when preparations were complete. For what, I wondered. A surprise, Laurie said. Like the one from Christmas. A little bit of the doctor's magic, she said. To uplift the town of Hyde and all its people. She held my hands tight in her own. And I agreed. Promised not to ask again till the doctor came back. And near the end of summer, on the cusp of fall, they did. I studied Peter's body with Giuliano's help. It was alive, after a fashion. It did not decay, even if parts of it had been replaced by wood and clockwork machinery. It seemed so alive. When we closed them all up, he sat up, looking as worried as we remembered from our time before Savard's departure. He held my hands in his own and asked, no, begged, pleaded for me to kill him, grant him peace. I promised him we would do as he asked if only he could answer our questions. There was little he could reveal, said he was acting as the puppet master's messenger, that he had delivered similar messages to the other elders. Some submitted others. A bullet would not have killed an elder if it was removed from the body, you see. So after he would dispatch one, he would wrap them up and bury them, leave them in a state of dreaded death. Our immortality is conditional, and the only reason Giuliano and I lasted for so long was that we watch each other's back as best as we can. The more we dug, the more we discovered. That Petter had met the Elder and was enamored, told them secrets he should not have shared. They were a doctor, he said. A surgeon, even. They had, in passing, spoken of wanting to bring back loved ones. And so Petter told them of the Ordo's mastery over death. And from there, Petter would feed them piecemeal information. He learned from the likes of the benefactor, Richard Henry and Marianne. He helped with their experiments, thinking it would earn him a place in Solvard's inner circle. 
for all our power. Savard had yet to crack the code of bringing the dead back to life. Not as mindless, moving meat like we do even today. But as a fully realized human person. Memories and personality intact. Soon enough, his thrall was replaced by uneasiness. Then fear. He could not tell us of the method. Only that one day... He was the one to go under the scalpel. It seemed that Drosselmeyer, or whatever this puppet master's real name was, had unlocked the secret to bringing back the dead. And Petter was a prime example, in all his clockwork glory. It was decided then, after we burned his body and threw the pieces into the hellmouth. We accepted the benefactor's offer of alliance against Drosselmeyer and made our way to the battlefield. Yeah? What the... Hello? Anyone there? Damn telemarketers. Damn, damn it. Hey, hey, give me a hand over here. Oh, oh. You good? Yeah, yeah, I, I just didn't want to damage anything. Christ, these are creepy. What the hell are they for again? Is it one of them, uh, themed restaurants? Hell if I know. Apparently these came with the house. Yeah. Last I heard it's like a bar or some kind of escape route. Oh, like, uh, like the one over in the village. Yeah, 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 uh, storm something. Went there with my kids once. Cute place, uh, creepy underground bathroom. <laughs> Imagine coming down to take a piss and seeing all this. Yeah. <laughs> Came with the house, you said? Yeah, the last owner didn't want him removed or something. Oh, I've watched Annabelle. I ain't messing with that. <laughs> hey, Chuckles, you left your damn phone on! Ah, oh, shit. You're listening to Hainai by Motsi Dapul. Hey everyone, this is Reg Helly, co-creator and co-producer of Hainai. Hainai is a podcast produced by Motsi Dapple, Yoi Halago, and me, and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial share-alike 4.0 international license. Today's episode was written and directed by Motsi Dapple, who also plays the role of Elaine and the journalist. The role of Donner was played by Leon Johnson, the role of Vanessa was played by Maya Dapple, the role of CJ was played by Laurence Perlet, and the role of the construction workers is played by Matt Godar. 
To help support the production of Hainai, you can buy us a milk tea, a coffee, or subscribe to our Coffee Gold at coffee.com slash Hainaipod. Or you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Hainaipod. Speaking of Patreon, shout out to all our patrons, Billy Atienza, Victoria Goodwin, Nicole, Burley Forty, David Gordon, Sinadone, Cecil, Rhea Campbell, Malaya Light, Robbie, Rebecca Madgastronomer, Discmonde, Jordanos Bellete, and Heather Blair. Your support has done so much for our podcast and means the world to us. We're so, so grateful for you. Also, don't forget to check out official Hainai merchandise on our Redbubble store at redbubble.com slash people slash Hainaipod. Hainai is available on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. The next episode, Digmaan Part 2, will premiere next week, May 22, 9pm EST or May 23, 9am PHD. For more news and updates, don't forget to follow us on our official blog, hainaipod.tumblr.com, and also on our socials, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at hainaipod. Leave a rating and a review when you check us out, and with that, thank you, we love you, and hanggang sa muli.